So turn in your Bibles. We're in Philippians, book of Philippians, chapter 4. And Paul is in jail in Rome as he writes this letter. And he writes it to some wonderful Christians that he loves. He planted this church in Philippi as the first church in Europe. And that was in 50 AD. Now, 11 years later, he's, he's incarcerated and he's in chains and probably the dungeon quite often. Later, in his second imprisonment, he would be taken from that little dungeon, which I've been to, in Rome, out to be martyred. Peter, same thing. And so he's writing to to these amazing people that he loves a promise of incredible peace from God as well as two commands on how to experience this peace. So let's read. We're in chapter four and let's read uh, one through nine. Philippians four says, Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren... My joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all people. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, are noble, are just, are pure, are lovely, are of good report. If there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. These do, and the God of peace will be with you. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for these Amazing words, thousands of years old, but fresh, alive. We pray for the Holy Spirit to pierce even our hearts with just a sweet, transforming power that we might know this incredible peace that you promised to give. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so that's a great promise, right? You know, that he said, and the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, I want you to have peace. I want you to have mental health. You know, I want you to to have this nearness with God where you cast all your cares on him. For he cares for you, Peter said. And throughout the Bible, you find this this message. 
So he's making them a promise that they can be worry-free. You guys believe that? I don't think so. (laughs) That's crazy. He's saying, be anxious for nothing. And pray in and give thanks in everything. So there's two commands that go with an incredible promise. Now the commands unlock the door to receiving the incredible promise. But these commands, be anxious for nothing and pray in and give thanks in everything, particularly the first one, be anxious for nothing. That has to be the most disobeyed command in the Bible. Like how many times do you disobey it every day? I, 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 I disobey it dozens of times. Maybe a hundred. Every day. And yet it's in the imperative. It says be anxious for nothing. And the word is not one thing. And I'm being anxious over a lot of things. I don't know about you. Do you have, do you have anybody have trouble? Is this the right congregation here? We struggle with this stuff. But this is in the imperative voice in Greek. And he means it. And you know what's at stake is peace and joy and fruitfulness. So this word, uh, be anxious, sometimes translated worry, Worry is an old English word, and it means to strangle. It means to choke. Remember how Jesus said that there's four kinds of soil? The the sower goes out, him or us, we go out and sow seeds of God's word or the gospel, right? So we're planting seeds, and there's good ground, praise God for that, and there's hard ground, along the path and there's rocky ground very shallow and then there's weed infested ground that has thorns and thistles and it says it chokes the word it chokes the seed of the word from bearing fruit because the weeds have taken over and that's the cares of this life he said the worries and cares of this life and worries about Money and worries about pleasure and all this stuff choke out the fruitfulness of the word. That's why Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, people ought to pray always and not faint. Not faint. Because you can be choked in in your sense of hope, in your sense of faith. And spiritually and emotionally, it brings you down to discouragement and even depression and, and, and rampant torment internally. You know, when I was about 13 years old, um, this friend of mine, kind of a little bit of a goofy guy, but he came up and he goes, hey, Wayne, um, I've learned how to faint people and I want to show you how it works. 
And so, can I faint you, he said. And I go, wow, that sounds weird, man. And he says, yeah, but it works, you know. And so I said, okay, you know, I'm weird. Go for it. I mean, so he did a thing, and I'm not going to tell you how he did it. Because I think some of you would go out and do it. Right? Because he showed me how to do it, and I did it all over the place. So anyway, he fainted me, and I was out for like 10 or 12 seconds. Then I came back, and I go, wow, you know, that's really amazing. And he goes, yeah. So I went home, and my younger brother was there. He's eight years old. And I said, hey, Kelly, I've learned how to faint people, and I want to faint you. What do you think, you know? And he goes, well, sure, Wayne. You're my older brother. Go for it, you know? So he let me do it. And I went through the simple steps, and he fainted, and I laid him down nicely on the, you know, grass. And then he woke up in about 10 or 15 seconds, and he ran into the house and said, Mom, Mom, Wayne fainted me. And I'm running behind him saying, No, no, no. And she goes, You what? And I said, Yeah, I, well, I mean, me, this guy showed me, and I fainted, and I thought it'd be a cool thing to do. And he, she said, You idiot. Don't you understand that when you do that, you're choking off oxygen to your brother's brain and brain cells are being killed and that's why he fainted. And you two do not have that many brain cells to give up, you know what I mean? (sighs) Okay, spiritually, spiritually, this choking, it, our faith is really important to our nearness to God. Our trust in God, our hope is, is delicate sometimes. And it, how delicate is it? Well, I, I was watching a Washington game last night on TV. They played Stanford. They got whooped. And we're supposed to be the best team. I still feel sad about it. You know what I mean? I mean, I was like, ah, Now, that's a silly illustration, but there's little things that can get you down and just pull you down. Things that we put a lot of importance in, but some of those things aren't important at all. So I have kind of learned to kind of, you know, with sports, I love it and I love to cheer for it, but don't let it bother you that much. Okay? It's not that important. But there are many things that come in and they want to, pull you down and the devil loves this he loves to attack you with discouragement it's one of his most effective tools even depression I'm so glad that the Lord is the lifter of our heads aren't you he wants to lift your head every day and he wants to lift the burdens from your heart so These things can really pull you down and yet they're completely unhelpful. Corey Ten Boom said this. I love it. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. In other words, by worrying, you're not helping yourself at all. But, she said, it empties today of its strength. Remember how Jesus said, 
How many of you by worry can add one cubit to your stature? You can't. It doesn't, it shrinks you. It doesn't help you grow. That's why Peter even said, cast all your cares on him. He had a lot of cares. He screwed up a lot. Anybody like that? I'm like that. Put my foot in my mouth and do stuff like that. And I have to repent a lot. And I turn to the Lord and I give it over to God. Honestly, I think if you're not repenting a lot, you may not be paying attention. Because there are things that get in there and want to choke. And so it helps if we can say, Lord, I need you. I need to give you this so that you can take it. You know, they did a survey of all worries, anxieties, fears, um, stresses, things like that. And they compiled them all. And they found out that in, in people's entire spectrum of worry and anxiety, only 92% uh, or excuse me, only 8% come true. And 92% never happen. Now, sometimes people say, yeah, it's because I'm worrying about it. It's not happening. Yeah, that's really scientific as well. <laughs> but like Corey Tenboom said, the worry will take its toll. It's the worry that takes its toll on people, even physically, on your health but certainly mentally in these other ways. Now, there's three things we see in this passage where people struggle with anxiety. One, first of all, has to do with our relationship with God. There's an area where um, we sometimes worry and really fret. Another one involves our relationships with people. We see these two gals here that were having a kind of an argument or some sort of strife going on. And then the third one involves disturbing circumstances that we encounter in our life. And there are disturbing things that come into our life every day, right? Have you noticed that? And so let's look at each one of these briefly. Our relationship with God. Now, I'm glad that we serve a God that wants us to be worry-free. Is God good or what? I mean, we serve a God who's, one of his names is love. Praise the Lord. I don't like gods that don't have that name. That their name is like, we will kill you. (laughs) That's a bad name. And it gives the Lord a bad name. So, eh, on that one. But is his love truer and more pure than than, than sometimes people make it out to be? Absolutely. And there's certain things that he wants to filter out of our lives. Now, in the first four verses of this chapter, it used, Paul uses the phrase, in the Lord. Look at this. In verse 1, he, he tells them, he says, My beloved, longed-for brothers and sisters, stand fast in the Lord, he says. In the Lord. Then at the end of verse 2, he tells these two gals, be of the same mind in the Lord. And then he says to all of them again in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. So he uses this phrase, and it's very common with Paul. He uses this phrase, in the Lord, or in Christ, or in Christ Jesus, or in the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses that phrase 
over 80 times in his writings in the New Testament. And what is he talking about? He's talking about a place where people are blessed. Being in the Lord. A place where they can have peace. A place where they can rejoice. A place where they can take thoughts that are tormenting captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Do you believe God can do that? That he can help take your thoughts captive? If we will surrender and and in spiritual warfare, we'll, we'll battle it with the weapons of our warfare. Prayer is the main one and God's word. And then he takes it captive. I love that promise. That's 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 4, and 5. Write that down. It's so good. Okay, now this place in Jesus Christ is a place where all the fears and the worries can be pushed out. Why? Because being in the Lord means being in his hands by trusting in him. Kind of like Jesus said, no one can snatch you out of my hands. No one can take you out of my father's hands. Amen. Isn't that a great place? It's a little bit like being one of the animals in Noah's Ark, I think. You know, Noah gathered up a bunch of animals. Not all the animals in the world could fit there. But he brought in all these animals so that they would survive after the flood. And then his whole family was also in there so that humans would survive. Praise God for Noah and his family. Amen. We're here because of it. Now listen, outside, there was a terrible, horrible downpour of rain as well as the breaking of, of the um, underground water sources were being broken up. And so water was gushing in. Rain was pouring down. People were drowning. Animals were drowning. There were people yelling, I'm sure. There were animals howling screeching, whatever they do, outside, it was scary. Would you agree with that? Outside the ark, it was really scary. But guess what? For the people and the animals in the ark, it was different. Because they're in the ark. They're protected. There's Noah. You know, he's taking care of the puppies. He's probably feeding them Purina jog, dog chow. I don't know what he, they were eating. He's probably petting them. It's going to be all right. You're going to make it through. Come on, just settle down. You'll be cool. I don't know how he did it with the hippos and, you know, giraffes and all that. That would have been a task. But still, it's good because they're in the ark. Do you know Jesus is the ark? And that people need to get in it? They need to be in Jesus. We're going through this world. This world is going to be judged. But he doesn't want to judge. He didn't come to judge, but to save. And when you're in Christ, there is therefore now, let's say it together, no Yeah, see, in Christ, you're not judged. You're not condemned. Because Jesus took the condemnation. Did you know that? He took the condemnation against our sins completely upon himself at the cross so that we could be forgiven of everyone and receive God's mercies and his grace instead 
That's your place in Jesus Christ. So the Lord wants to relieve any fear or worry regarding your relationship with him. Now, if you trust in him and believe what he did, and you really should, because after he died for our sins, he was seen risen again by over 500 people on at least 15 different appearances over a period of 40 days, and eyewitnesses wrote it down. And then when you put your trust in the risen Lord, he gives you a new life. He raises your life out of a selfish life into a forgiven life with love and God. That is sweet. It, it, it confirms what the stories affirm objectively that he did for us. So the one who believes in him, says in John three thirty six, has eternal life. But the one who does not believe in him does not have life, but the wrath of God remains on him or her. You know what that means? Hell. People not receiving the forgiveness and the gift of eternal life will go to hell unless they open their heart and trust him. Now, when, he, when they do that, everything's straight. And Jesus will help you at that point to overcome these other fears. But you have no fear about your relationship with God. Give me an amen. amen. That is the truth. Your walk with God is okay because you're in Jesus and God looks at you through the lens of Jesus now. His son. That is so wonderful. So that's our relationship with God. So when it says at the end of verse five, the Lord is at hand, that doesn't scare us. That he's coming again. That doesn't scare me. Why? Because Peter said, that when he comes again, I'm to rest my hope fully on God's grace that he will bring to me at his coming. I love that. Now, the signs are he could be coming soon, but I'm not freaking out. I'm excited. I'm happy for him to come. I'd love to see what his administration could do here on earth. (laughs) Amen? Yeah! All right, there's another area of worry that we face, and that's stress and anxiety over our relationships with people. Now, people can be the most wonderful blessing in this world that we have, and they can also be really annoying. And they can really kind of like be, eh, right? I mean, we, we're a mixed bag, and I'm talking about myself. And these two girls, it says here in verse 2, I say girls because I'm 69. These women, Euodia and Syntyche, says, I implore, that's a strong word, I implore them, be of the same mind in the Lord. What does that mean? They were fighting. Okay, they were arguing and there was conflict and there was division starting to happen. It's interesting when you look over in chapter two, you see that Paul actually is praying and speaking to the whole church and saying, you know, be of the same mind. Be of one accord. Don't do anything just for your own interest, but for the interests of others. Um, He's saying the same thing. Why? It could be that the conflict had spread. And that does happen, right? One of the things that happens 
If there's a conflict between people, sometimes you feel like you have to choose sides. But the Lord doesn't want us fighting each other. Jesus said, this is my commandment, a new one I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So putting his agenda first is so important. We don't know what they were fighting about. Um, Euodia, Syntyche, those are two interesting names. Anyone named Euodia or Syntyche here? Anybody? Anybody? Hey, Syntyche, good to see you. Um, We don't even know. But here, Euodia means good travels. Okay, good travels. Syntyche means an accident. That's not good travels. That's, That's bad travels. So you have maybe, and the parents gave them the name, and I'm grasping at straws here, but perhaps it was descriptive of their nature, kind of their, maybe their personality a little bit. And, and no personality is necessarily bad, but maybe one was really optimistic, the other pessimistic. In other words, there's differences of opinion. And we can have conflicts, but listen. Learning to love people who are different, that's good. With Christ's love, but without his love, it is hard. Especially when there's differences that great on a person. But when we put the Lord's agenda and see, it says in verse two, be of the same mind in the Lord. In other words, look at them through the eyes of the gospel and make sure that our treatment of our brothers and sisters doesn't stumble people who need to see the gospel in action, amen? The early church was, they were known for loving one another so much. And I've noticed that in this church. And I'm not just saying that. I've been here a few times now. And I see that in this church. I see it in your pastors. And I think it's a wonderful example. But let me give you another example. When I was in junior high, I sang in the glee club. And I was a rascal of a, of a young man. I like to disturb people. I like to... Um, create mm, distractions for self-entertainment purposes and with friends you know I mean I teach now I teach 11th grade bible in one of the large christian schools in our area and kids are still like this and there's and they really bother me now (laughs) really totally bother me (laughs) okay so in this glee club Mr. Smith our choir director guy he was really super high strung. So if, if something bothered him, and the thing that bothered him was singing out of key, singing off key. He, he was so sensitive to that. So I would do it purposely, but discreetly. So you wouldn't know it was me just to see his reaction. And he would go off. And every, all of us in hiding behind the baritone section, because we were tenors, we were making fun and enjoying and he was going off, oh, who's off key? Oh, you know, like this. And then one day he caught me red-handed. He said, Wayne, you're the guy singing off key. Am I right? And I had to say yes, because I'm a Christian. Huh? So yeah. And he goes, and you're the one that's been doing this all along, haven't you? I go, well. 
He said, get out of my room. He said, get out of my room right now. And don't come back until I allow you to. And I was out for a couple of weeks. I had to be outside the room. Why? Because I was ruining the glee club. Right? We were there to sing on key and to make performances that people liked. It, it changed from a glee club to a gloom club because of me, right? That's no good. That's a silly example, but you know what? Sometimes the church is not really representing why we're here. And it's because of worries and fears and cares and, and things that get in that make us battle and divide I don't think Christians should ever divide over politics. We can disagree. It's okay. We can disagree. It's all right. But we can pray for the other side that they'll come to an enlightenment. (laughs) And we can be patient. And we can, you know, just pray that God will help us. Because that's part of what our country's about too. Amen? So... This is what the Lord is calling them to and he's asking them to put his agenda first. The last one that I wanted to mention, we just have a couple minutes. The last thing is that there are disturbing circumstances that come in and it comes into all of our life. Like say you have children and your children are sick. You know, there's gonna be a lot of crying or maybe they're tired. There's gonna be a lot of crying. If, if your car breaks down, it's annoying. If um, your phone battery dies and you're in the midst of a, a really important conversation. Have you ever had that happen? Yeah, it's annoying. Why can't they make eternal batteries anyway? I don't know. So whatever it is, there's just a lot of things and there's deeper things. There's things that can bring despair. Loss, grief, injury, illness, these types of things. But even in that, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me. And none of us is getting out of here alive until the rapture. Amen. Amen. So, do you know anyone else who can, you can go through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil and take you through to the other side in paradise? Is there anyone else you know who can do that? Jesus can do that. He alone can do that. There's no other savior or redeemer but him. So, we will not be able to worry about nothing unless we learn to pray in everything. That's the key. You know how when Paul told the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing? A lot of times we think Paul was using hyperbola. Pray without ceasing? I can't pray without ceasing. I have to sleep sometimes, you know. Listen, he meant it. He meant in every waking moment, be in touch with God. Otherwise, cares, worries, anxieties are going to start choking. And they've been doing it. If we're being honest now, they have been doing that. And and it's not fruitful to our life. So God wants us praying, even in the things that are mindless little things. Okay, like for me, mowing the lawn. Uh, I'm good at mowing the lawn. I'm so good I don't have to think about it. 
I just do it. But when I'm mowing the lawn, since I don't have to think about anything else, nature abhors a vacuum. I like to think about people that annoy me and rip on them. (laughs) In my brain, be critical and all that. And then one day the Lord said, I didn't bring that person to your mind so that you could criticize. I brought them to your mind so that you would pray for them. I go, oh, wow, what a thought. And I'm a pastor, you know, what a thought, okay. So I started praying for people, and you know what? I started seeing changes in their life, plus I saw more change in me that I actually started loving my enemies. Wow. The Lord is good. It says in verse 8, oh, I just got to finish with this. It says in verse 8, it says, not only are we to cast all our anxieties and let him take away all our fears, worries, and stresses, but also verse 8 says, set your mind on the things that are just, are pure, are lovely, are of good report, virtuous, praiseworthy, excellent. Set your mind on these things. Meditate on those things. What are those things? It's Jesus. That's him. That's his personality trait. All those amazing things. When you think about him and his love for you, his love will dispel fears. Did you know that? His perfect love will cast out your fears at any moment of the day. Meditate on his love and all these great qualities. And that's what will happen because, Saul, or because Isaiah said in chapter 26, verse 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is set on thee. Perfect peace. That's what he wants to do in our lives. And it's not a Pollyannish fairy tale. It's a promise of God. You know, when they were building the Golden Gate Bridge, At first, as they were building it and these guys were doing high-flying types of construction over this huge um, strait in the bay there, this, this this huge area, people fell. Okay, it was freaky doing it, building this bridge. It was an early type of bridge like that and 23 people fell in the first half of building the Golden Gate Bridge. All of them died. So they decided, after so many died, that they would put a safety net. It cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. But they built the safety net underneath. And during the second half of the construction of the Golden Gate Bridge, only 10 people fell. And none of them died. They were all fine. But this is what they noticed. During the second half of construction, they were able to build 25% faster than they did in the first half because people were not afraid and people were not stressed and filled with anxiety. Also, this is really amazing. They built 25% better quality bridge. So what are we saying? When the Lord relieves your fears, your worries, your anxieties, all these things that choke and plague our lives, 
we become more fruitful because now love is showing. Now patience, kindness, instead of a reaction like this, it's more like God's going to help us. Fruit. Dear God, I thank you so much for this time and this lesson. Lord, we live in a time of great division outside the ark. We live in a time just of of anxiety and terrorization in society, a lot of worry, a lot of mental turmoil, and even mental illness. Jesus, you are the great healer of our lives, and you are the great lifter of our heads and our hearts. And I pray that you would lift the hearts of your people. And if there's someone here who doesn't know about this wonderful relationship that we can have with the Lord God creator who loves us. Friend, just receive Jesus right now. In fact, I want to pray with all those, all those weighted down with cares and worries and anxieties and fears. If you're struggling with any of that, whether a believer or not a believer yet, any people struggling with that, I know I am. Why don't you stand to your feet right now and let's pray together, okay? Anyone struggling with anxiety, with fear, with worry, with stress, with a sense of discouragement, with oppression, and these things that just want to choke out your life. Let's stand and let's pray. And while we're praying, if you're, if you're also in that situation and you don't know this sweet, close relationship that you can have with the Lord who loves you, who even died in your place and rose again, then right now just say, Jesus, I trust in you. I give you my life. I put my faith in you. But let's pray. I'm going to pray with you all. Thank you so much, Lord, for these dear people and how much you care for them. I pray that they could sense how good you are and how mighty you are to redeem and how mighty you are to liberate us from these kinds of thoughts that torment our minds and our hearts. And Lord, teach us moment by moment, every day, to cast these cares on you. And we ask you right now, fill us, Lord, afresh with the Holy Spirit of God, Lord, that you might take captive every thought, every renegade feeling, every worry, anxiety, and fear, that you would take it captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ, day by day, moment by moment, Thank you, God. Thank you for your faithfulness. And we look forward to the fruit that's going to come to your glory in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.